Good morning. Welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. We're your host. I'm Abby. And I'm Erica. Today, I'm going to be telling you guys about the disappearance of Heidi Broussard. So grab yourself some coffee and let's dive on in. continue on with our content for this week's episode shortly, but first we wanted to take a moment to let you know about an opportunity to listen to even more Crime Over Coffee content. By signing up for our Patreon, you can receive ad-free episodes and additional content. To check out this opportunity and sign up for the Crime Over Coffee Patreon, visit www.patreon.com slash crimeovercoffeepod. Thank you again for all of your support. This case is a case suggestion coming from Ethan A., so thank you, Ethan, for sending this in. Ethan is actually a previous co-worker of the Megan in our story. On December 12th, 2019, 33-year-old Heidi Broussard, her newborn Margot Carey, and her six-year-old son headed to Cohen Elementary School to drop her son off for school. Around 7.30 in the morning, they drop him off and then they leave. That is the last time anybody sees Heidi or Margot. Pretty quickly after, they are reported missing, and an Amber Alert is sent out for Margot. When police start investigating, which was honestly pretty quick in this case, they discover that they believe both Heidi and Margot had returned home from the school after they dropped her son off, because items that they most likely would have taken with them on their trip were found in the house. There are a few things that kind of happen in the span of the next three weeks, which I'm going to kind of go out of order and I'll come back to, but... Three weeks later, on December 19th, a body is found in the trunk of a car registered to a woman named Megan Fieramuska. Just a few days later, the body is identified as Heidi Broussard, and the cause of death was determined to be ligature strangulation. So they believed that there was some sort of rope or tool used to strangle Heidi. The good news in this case is that Heidi's daughter was not with her. So that meant that Margot was most likely alive somewhere. As I had mentioned, the car belonged to Megan. And so police very quickly determined that Megan was most likely the one that had committed the murder of Heidi. So a little bit of background on Megan. She was 35 years old at this time and had actually been best friends with Heidi. They had met when they were 11 years old at a church camp called Texas Bible Institute and had been best friends ever since. They'd hung out frequently. They did live a little ways away from each other, like 165 miles away from each other, but they both lived in Texas. Something that was exciting for both Megan and Heidi is that they were reportedly pregnant at the same time. However, we later find out that Megan was never actually pregnant. People found that to be kind of shocking because Megan had done a lot of things to act as though she was pregnant. She had started a baby registry. She had been going to doctor's appointments. She would hold her stomach when she was around people and pretend like that she was holding her belly. And Megan actually had a boyfriend or an ex-boyfriend, excuse me, named Christopher Green that she was still living with, but they had broken up a while before 
And she had reported that he was the father of the baby and had even told him like, hey, you have a child on the way. Christopher Green had been interviewed a few times and he said that he never saw anything off about the pregnancy. He said that he had seen Megan's belly grow and when he touched it, it felt it felt hard to the touch as a normal pregnant belly does. This case sounds so familiar to me and I'm trying to figure out if it's because I've heard it before or maybe it's just like a like it sounds like a movie <laughs> or a TV show or like a lifetime movie. Similar cases like this have been on Criminal Minds. I know that for sure. Because Maybe I was immediately thinking of. thinking of those as I was like researching this. And when Ethan first sent the suggestion, that was my first thought. But I don't remember specifically hearing of this case. So as I mentioned, Heidi and Megan were best friends. And to the point that as soon as Megan heard that Heidi was in labor, she hopped in her car and drove all 165 miles to the hospital and then was in the delivery room with Heidi while she gave birth on November 26th. Oh, wow. Yeah, very close friends. Thanks. Typically, you'd think people wouldn't let anybody in the delivery room except for like a partner or a parent. Was the father of her baby around or in the picture? He was around, actually. So after the delivery, Megan insisted on holding Margot first. And she actually took the baby away from Heidi's mom. And everybody's like, what are you doing? She's like, well, I really need to leave soon. So like, I just want to see the baby first and then I'm going to leave. But... She ends up spending the night at Heidi's apartment and not leaving until the next day. So Heidi's, I think that they were still together. I think it was still her boyfriend. But either way, it was Margot's father, Shane, gave Megan a key to their apartment and said, just leave it on the counter when you leave and then you can spend the night and it's fine. However, she never left this key. So she, did she have a key or did she break in or? I'm assuming that she use that key that Shane had given her after the delivery because she kept it. She never returned it. Oh, okay. She took... Okay, sorry. I misunderstood. She took it with yes, her. So she, okay. She took it with her. All right. Do you know, was there any sign of forced entry at all? Not that I saw. So it's it's really weird. Like a lot of this case, which is why I'm presenting it in such a out of order way, I was really struggling to put this case together because almost everything we know comes from after and during the trial a lot of the information that i have of those three weeks where they're kind of investigating and they are able to determine that megan is the one that killed heidi all of that comes from the trial i and i don't i didn't see anything about forced entry or anything like that well you know i'm not surprised because it sounds like they pretty quickly find out who was maybe at fault or at least involved and so there wasn't a lot of like upfront investigation because they kind of just were like oh this is our person we need to bring them in yeah i think that's exactly what happened they didn't have a whole lot to investigate because they just kind of knew from the beginning so along with megan being pregnant but not being pregnant she like i said had joined some baby registries all of her baby registries though were under the name megan humphrey instead of megan firamuska which another friend of megan and heidi's said that she had also gone to church camp with them. That's how they had met, and they were still really good friends. But she said that she knew at one point Megan's last name used to be Humphrey, and then she changed it to the Firamuska, but she wasn't sure when or why. So she, she Megan decided to use an old name, 
And the due date on these registries stated December 1st, 2019. So it was right around the same time that Heidi was due. Like I said, she had given birth on November 26th. In December, at some point in time, I don't know the exact date, but Megan's ex-boyfriend, Christopher, is like at work and she goes out of town. Megan does. And then Megan's like, hey, like when he comes home, she has a baby in her arms. And she's like, hey, while you were gone, I went into labor and I had our daughter, Luna May. They named her, she named her Luna May. And he was like, oh, okay. And she's like, I just, I didn't want to call you because I knew you were busy. And like, that was kind of it. And then he was just like, okay. And just like believed that this was his daughter. So like I said, she has this daughter named Luna May. And for three weeks, they, I'm going to use the words playhouse together. So Megan continues to state that Luna's her daughter and Christopher's like, okay, this is our daughter. Like, yay. I'm a father and just kind of like jumps into that role and thinks nothing of it until police show up and discover Heidi's body in the car, in the trunk of Megan's car, and then realize that Chris and Megan's daughter, Luna, is actually Heidi's daughter, Margot. So about a couple days before Christmas in 2019, Margot, who was a month old now at this time, a little over a month was reunited with her father. Now, I know there's like a lot of things kind of missing from point A to point B. I'm going to go back in and I'm going to kind of fill everything else in because there was a lot. So it comes out that Megan had actually been Googling Heidi Broussard at least 162 times in the span of five weeks before like right before she was arrested and around the time that Heidi went missing sounds like she was trying to check up and see what was going on and what she needed to do to cover her ass yes she also had been looking up reasons for amber alert and amber alert issued Austin now this was prior to any amber alert or anything being released about the fact that Margot was missing that she was googling this that's a little suspicious just a tad So police had asked her about it and about the baby and, you know, where Luna May came from. And she's like, well, I had a baby at a birthing center in somewhere in the Houston area. I don't remember the name of it. And the only people that were there were the nurses and the doctors. But I don't remember any of their names either. Uh, Red flags. What? A lot of them. (laughs) Also, at the very, very least, even if you genuinely don't remember, you probably have... A heck of a lot of hospital bills. Well, that's the thing. Like, there should be something that could indicate, like, hey, or, I don't know, a birth certificate. Mm-hmm. Sounds like her plan was not well thought out at all. It was not. So, Megan was arrested in January of 2020. Pretty quickly. So, like I said, it was December 12th that Heidi and Margot go missing. And January of 2020 by the time that she's arrested. So, we've got, like, a month span that happened here. She was charged with capital murder and kidnapping in connection with the death of 33-year-old Heidi. She was being held on a $600,000 bond and getting ready to go to court. I'm going to give you guys a heads up. It is now 2022 that we're recording this, July of 2020-22. And this case is still ongoing. There are no results. Now, COVID happened right in 2020, the beginning of 2020. 
And I will say that that kind of delayed things. But there were also some other reasons for delay. So their her legal team for the first trial or first hearing, she joined in through Zoom because of COVID concerns. And then her legal team was like, we'd actually like an extension because we feel like we need more time with her before the trial. Is that a thing? I hadn't really heard of that before that I knew of, but they felt like they still needed to gather evidence and gather things to like support her. I guess I just didn't even know that was an option. I don't know if it was an option because of COVID. Yeah, maybe. Or what? I would guess because otherwise, couldn't you just keep stalling and stalling? Yeah, I probably. So I assume that she... I, maybe you get like one extension. Maybe that's all you get. And then you can't do anything else. I don't know. But they requested it. I think it's weird that they felt the need to request it because this seems pretty freaking cut and dry. Well, are they... Um, and sorry if I'm getting ahead of you, but are they going with like an insanity thing? No. Really? Not that I know of. Unless they're unless that's what they're working towards. But as I stated, the case is still ongoing. So right, right. At, to this point, which the most recent things I found were from May of 2022. But to this point, there's nothing been released about her trying to do an insanity plea. During the hearing, one of the things that comes up from Megan's defense team is a motion to suppress evidence on the basis that the police entered Megan's home on December 19th without a warrant. So they stated that the police officers did not have reason or probable cause to enter the home and the warrant wasn't issued until seven hours later that same day. So they kind of went back and forth on this for a little while. And then the state was able to determine if there was probable cause. They were able to discuss, you know, like what's going on. And they gave three reasons for why they were able to justify the search and seizure at this time. The first one was that law enforcement isn't required to show probable cause when action is immediately necessary to protect human life. And as we know, the baby was missing and Megan was pretending to have the baby at her home. So they were using that one. The second was there was an objective standard of reasonableness to enter given the facts and circumstances of the case. Once again, with it being that they were trying to see if the baby was still alive. And the third one was consent was given by someone authorized to provide consent, allowing them to enter the home without a warrant. Pretend baby daddy? Yeah, I'm glad you caught on. So the lead detective in this case and the first one, one of the first people to enter this home and to find Margot, ends up being called as a witness onto the stand to discuss the entire case. And he gives his side of things, which... I promise this part fills in all of the gaps because it wasn't until this part of the trial where I f knew anything either. So the detective says that he was first notified on December 12th of Heidi and Margot's disappearance. It was a high priority case because Margot's dad, Shane, said that everything necessary for keeping an infant alive, a newborn alive, was all at their apartment. Nothing of theirs had been taken to feed her or anything or to change her diapers the baby also had jaundice and so there were medical concerns for Margot. so then the detective states that a lot of our agencies got involved so the texas department of public safety the texas rangers 
and the FBI, along with multiple local agencies and nonprofits, were all involved in trying to solve this case and figure out what was going on. The FBI deployed its Child Abduction Rapid Deployment Unit. So many people were looking for it and were trying to solve it due to the medical concerns and the lack of necessary supplies. Megan was the first person of interest. Well, Megan was a person of interest after the detective had spoke with Margot's dad, Shane. And Shane had basically told the detective, you know, Heidi's friend, Megan, had a pregnancy around the same time. But it was really weird because there were never any pictures of the baby. She had this baby supposedly and still hasn't let anybody meet her or shown anybody any pictures and it didn't seem like that real of a pregnancy so they immediately try to find Megan's Facebook page but it's deleted and they can't find anything about her that's when they went to talk with her as they were going to talk with her they were already kind of I think they kind of had in the back of their mind what to expect because behavior analysts with the FBI had already stated that they thought that the person had take that had taken Margot and had murdered Heidi was probably somebody with a maternal desire who was wanting the child. I wonder how often, like statistically, how often that happens. I don't know. That's a very good question. It's something that I feel like is in every like like criminal show, not true crime necessarily, but like we talk about criminal minds and stuff, but I wonder how often it actually happens because... I feel like, and this is an absolute guess, but you get a cocktail of like people maybe who have experienced like a miscarriage or loss of a child, like that kind of emotional trauma mixed with seeing someone else have what they want. I wonder if that happens more often than we even think about. Uh, Yeah, I'm sure. This was one of the first times I think I've heard of it in for sure true crime situation that I can think of. There's no other ones that are coming to my mind definitely have seen it on some crime tv shows and things and if you ask abby and she knows this she does the same thing but we both do it we'll be like hey do you remember that case and then we'll be like oh no that was actually a criminal minds episode or a csi (laughs) episode or whatever like it wasn't actually real so they do kind of blend together especially when it's one that we haven't already researched so Mm -hmm. I, i don't know if i've heard of this and i'm assuming it does happen more often than it's really talked about so as the detective is looking into stuff they look at some video footage some camera footage abby security cameras working in this case and they actually show megan's car at heidi's apartment during the time that margo was born they also then talk to a neighbor and that same car was seen on the day that heidi and margo went missing and they also the neighbor saw a woman not heidi holding a baby and getting in the car. So police have a whole lot of evidence kind of going against Megan at this point. The detective at this point says that they set up some surveillance and they actually took a helicopter and flew it over Megan's house. And the video from the helicopter captured a car parked in the backyard behind a fence. And it was the same car that Megan had drove to the birth and that had been seen at the house the morning of the disappearance and they immediately found that to be suspicious so they're like okay we really need to go and look into this further so they actually run into none other than megan's ex-boyfriend chris at the store he's buying baby products and he was like yeah like i know megan we used to be in a relationship together we have a kid together now and 
the police were like, okay, cool. Like, do you know about this missing child though? And he's like, oh, wow. And then they showed him a picture of the missing child. And he was like, oh, oh, that's the same baby that we have at our house that Megan said was ours. I can't even imagine. I feel like he would be going through so many emotions in that moment. Like, okay, I'm not a father anymore. Mm-hmm. I have unknowingly been holding on to somebody else's baby whose right. mother was murdered. And probably some fear of, like, am I going to be in trouble for this? Yeah. And also probably some anger towards Megan for the whole situation. Like, he went through every emotion, I'm sure, in the span of three seconds as soon as the police officer showed him that photo. He tells them that they can go to the house. And then when they go there, Megan opens up the door and the police officers are able to see Margot Lane in her crib. So while they didn't have a warrant, they did enter the home and did a protective sweep to get the baby out. But the baby was found safe, and then immediately everybody exited the home, and they didn't touch anything other than the child to make sure that she was safe. And they waited until they had a warrant to come back and to look further. You know, I feel like we cover a lot of cases where we're concerned with the investigators and the cops and their process, but it sounds like this one was pretty spot on. Like, they did a good job. Yeah, I feel like they did, honestly, as best as they could with what they were given. It seems like a pretty cut and dry case. Like I said, there's still no answers. The sentencing is not done. Obviously, it's been almost three years, which is a very long time. I mean, I know we know these cases take a long time, but three years is a little outrageous for what this case is. So obviously, Heidi's mom, Tammy, has some things to say about it. And and they just keep getting delays, which is really frustrating. And I am going to quote her. She said quote, I want this whole thing finished where my grandchildren are not asking what happened. I want my grandchildren not to have to linger in the dust of all of this, end quote. She also, which this I was trying to think about in her perspective, Heidi's mom said that, quote, Heidi would want us to forgive her and release her, but I would really want the chance to talk to her, end quote. And she's like, you know, she came to our house. We loved her. We welcomed her in our home. They were best friends. Why did you murder our daughter? So to kind of wrap this up as much as we can, there were some friends of Heidi's that got together that also had kids on her son's baseball team, and they raised money for baby clothes and food and gift cards and just money in general for the family because obviously they they had a lot of expenses at this time and a lot of grief that they were dealing with and they didn't need to also deal with the financial burden of it. So as I mentioned, this case is still ongoing and we really hope to see some sort of closure for the family soon. Thanks to listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepot at outlook.com. All of our sources can be found in the show notes for each episode. If you would like, you can support us by going to anchor.fm slash crimeovercoffee. You can also support us by recommending us to friends and family, giving us a good review on Apple Podcasts, or subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>